Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with a promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Mike Ingersoll, and you're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Jersey Mikes. Mike, since you're an offensive lineman, and since Buck and I talked this to death with Jason earlier in the week, I want to get your take, just looking back briefly to California, and ask you how you felt the offensive line performed against California. Offensive line specifically, and then we'll go from there. So that, what's your take on that? Well, contrary to popular belief and uh, the Twitter mob, the offensive line really didn't do as bad as people want to believe they did. Um there were some things obviously that need to get improved, uh, but a lot of it stems from hesitation on the second level with linebackers. So coming out of your double teams and on the backside of zones, um, and then some of it's just footwork stuff that can clean up some first-level assignments, um, the backside three techniques, making plays on outside zones and stretches and things like that. That's all, that's all footwork, and I saw some specific plays uh, after looking back over the film that I can point to where, where exactly what I'm talking about took place, and there was – some false steps and some sloppy footwork and shoulder integrity and things like that. The typical week one stuff that you're going to run into, especially on the offensive line that, you know, you can only clean up even as a veteran player. So, you know, I'm thinking of guys, you know, like our tackles, um, uh, William Sweet and uh, Charlie Heck, uh, both of them were making these mistakes and, and they're veteran guys at this point. So, you know, it's stuff that even, that even older guys, you know, need a game or two to, uh, you know, kick, kick the rust off and, and, and get back in the uh, get back in the swing of things. Footwork is always the the most difficult thing to uh, reacclimate to game speed and to game conditions. But overall, it wasn't bad. Again, it's just second level assignments that were really the biggest headache. Mike, what, before I come to you, Buck, how did you think William Barnes performed? We talked about him last week, and a lot of people said when he came in and started getting the majority of the reps, they really played better. Now, I don't know if it's a function of Cal doing something differently or Carolina clicking, but your thoughts there? Well, he's a bigger body um, and he performed well. I mean, I'll, I'll start off with that. I mean, he performed well for, for a freshman, but again, I, I've said this now in every podcast where we've discussed him that I've been on, um, you know, he's a freshman. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to do things that freshmen do. Um, what sets him apart, what actually gives him the, uh, the ability and the wherewithal to be out on the field as a freshman is the, the fact that, athletic and he's so big and you can't coach size uh, and that kid's got plenty of size um he's the kind of player that has that natural functional strength that when he gets his hands on you it's just kind of over um john cooper had a lot of that right i'm not comparing uh william barnes to john cooper just yet obviously i mean coop being a consensus all-american he's a you know ring of honor guy um so that's a that's a lofty comparison but in terms of hands and uh locking being able to lock people down once your five fingers wrap onto a breastplate that's something William Barnes has. Um, and he's got the size, you know, I think of, uh, you know, Travis Bond, Travis didn't have 
the best footwork. He didn't have the best hands. He didn't have the best punch. You know, he was, his technique was sloppy at times. He would get too high. His hips would get too high. Um, he'd be up on his toes, but he was so damn big that every time he got his hands on you, you ended up on the ground. Um, cause it's just, you can't teach being that big. Uh, and Travis to his credit now is one of the best players up in the CFL. He's probably one of the top 10 offensive linemen up there. Um, and for good reason, he's a good player. And I think William Barnes has a little bit of both of those guys in him, but he's so young. We don't know what he's going to be, but I do know that against Cal, he did some things, um, in pass protection that, that impressed me. Um, and he made some mistakes in the run game from a technique standpoint, getting caught leaning, um, so his feet were coming up and his hips were getting high. I saw that across the board. It's a point that I'll make again and again here throughout this podcast uh, today. But, um, you know, th- those are basic uh, young guy mistakes that only come with reps. And uh, and the good news is, is I saw him actually start to correct some of that stuff on his own uh, throughout the course of the game as he started getting more and more reps, uh, you know, more volume of reps. But your column on Inside Carolina on Tuesday – I don't even know how to pronounce your last word. The great O.L. Kerfluffle. Oh, that's the strictly Buck Sanders word. Kofefe. Kofefe Kerfluffle. It had a bunch of stuff in it, you know, but you kind of lost me on the title. Bottom line is it's an inexact science. Uh, and we have a lot of scientists on the message boards. And it makes <laughs> for a quite interesting discussion, yeah. Buck. But let's, let's look ahead off of Cal. Uh, what is the biggest lesson you think these guys as a group and coach Kapilvic learned from California? I mean, California is a three, four defense. That's inherently, um, I think more difficult to block for guys, but your thoughts on what that meeting room might be this week, heading down to Greenville on Saturday. Well, you know, that they've got some things they can hang their hat on a little bit, even from the Cal game. Once they started running the ball a little bit with uh, Nathan Elliott, I think that opened up a lot of things for the offense. You know, you're supposed to improve the most from uh, game one to game two. Let's hope that's true. But, you know, I'd like to see more improvement from the running back room. We heard so much about the running backs in the offseason and how good they looked, and I'd like to see more of that against – uh, East Carolina. And I'd like to see, uh, you know, some of the wide receivers get a little bit more separation. But, you know, I, I don't think playing the East Carolina defense is going to be remotely similar to playing the Cal defense. I think defensively, Cal is pretty good. How good remains to be seen. But defensively, I think they're a pretty solid unit. That coach, Justin Wilcox, that's his calling card coming out of Wisconsin as a defensive coordinator. He was the guy that was supposed to write the ship there defensively. So, you know, I don't know that there's anything more than that 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 I could add to that uh, equation. Any real trickeration either on uh, against Cal. We didn't see the almost certain touchdown that Anthony Ratliff would throw if he got it in his hand. So, I don't know that they'll need that against East Carolina. They may not want to keep that in their bag of tricks or whatever, but this game coming up should be an opportunity for North Carolina to get well. Uh, they should get healed uh, from the hard knocks they took uh, on the West Coast last week. Mike, you prepare all camp, all off season, all that. You come out against California and your offense lays an egg. 
from a mental standpoint of what does that do to you or is it just another game and you know you move on to the next one i mean it's not that simple with college kids is it uh it 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 depends on what they're made up of mentally um which that comes down to coaching and whether guys have bought into your message right because every coaching staff preaches next man up next play don't let the last play affect the next one that sort of stuff that's all coach speak but if you have guys that buy into it, because it, it it is the best way to play the game, period. It's the only way to play the game and be successful at it. Um, especially when you have a, you know, as a team, when you, when you play a game the way that we played against Cal, moving into another, what is, I mean, what is essentially a rivalry game? ECU may not be that good, but it's still a rivalry game. Um, so going from one, from a, from a, from a game like, from a game like Cal into a rivalry game against ECU, you have to treat it like that, that game is over and we're on to the next. And, from a team standpoint, from an individual standpoint, it has to be, I can't let what happened, um, the negative against Cal affect how I perform against ECU. Just like I can't let the negative um, in terms of how I perform during inside run affect me during our team period, 45 minutes later in practice. Same, same sort of concept. Um, you know, and you can, you can break it down into microcosms of microcosms, um, as a player, and, and, and it really is the only way to be successful is to, to be successful playing this game. But if your team isn't made up of guys who have bought into that message and who really ascribe to that philosophy, yeah, it's going to be difficult. I mean, because college kids are still kids. That's why we call them college kids. I was a kid when I was in college, um, no matter how big I was or mature I seemed or immature to most people. You know, I was still a kid. I was a child. And you know, I thought like a child and I had a lot of growing to do mentally. And yeah, that stuff, that stuff affected me and I bought into that message. So, you know, there's always going to be a little, a little bit of that hangover, I guess you'll say. Um, you're going to, you know, if, if you're a highly competitive person, which every college athlete is, I mean, you're going to beat yourself up over little mistakes. They just have to get over it because they have to go out there and get a win this week. And the coaches are preaching that and the guys know that. And, and for the most part, your highly competitive people will put that stuff um, you know, past negativity, they will put it on the back burner eventually, move on from it and move on to the next thing they can be successful at, which in this case is the ECU game. Before we talk about East Carolina, I want to talk about Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's is paired with InsideCarolina.com. They've sponsored this podcast and they're offering a great deal for Inside Carolina listeners. You get 15% off your order at all Chapel Hill area Jersey Mike's, and this is how mm. you do it. Mm. That's that. That save you a lot of money, Mike. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Give let's be giant thirteen. A little bit of giant thirteen action. So let's check this out, and Buck. I'm still saying we're doing this for the tailgate one week, uh, one weekend here in in Bowes Lot. But you go to jerseymikes.com front slash order, and you place your order. You enter the code heels fifteen. It's only online, and it's for the four area Chapel Hill area locations. Get your favorite subs. Make it quick and easy. Order on the app. Do it. It's ready. Skip the line. JerseyMikes.com front slash order. Code word heels 15. Mm. Front slash that order. Slash them prices. Front slash, it's got to be a front slash orders. Chapel Hill area locations. Absolutely 15%. So mm. here's the deal, Buck. Carolina goes to East Carolina. You've taught it shouldn't be that big of a game. It's not going to know much, but it's pretty important. Who is this game most important for? Very open-ended question. 
But who in the North Carolina program is this game most important for, in your opinion? Well, I'd say Larry Fedora, number one, <laughs> or, 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 unless we want to go to a player. But, no, uh, I, that's why I said anybody in the program. Anybody in the program, yeah. Uh, I think, you know, it's – you lose at Cal, that's one thing. You go down to East Carolina and you play badly or worse, you get beat by a team that lost to A&T. The – what is now a sort of a medium kind of roar going on is going to be so loud we won't be able to hear each other talk on these podcasts. So, yeah, I think uh, there's a, a certain amount of heat that's generating now um, for Larry Fedora, and I think he needs to, you know, have his team ready, cleaning up a few things that, that haven't been cleaned up in the past, like penalties, for example, uh, yeah. would help. Some other kinds of things that uh, the team could do better at that, that they haven't been great at for say the last year and a half, two years. Although the the defense against um, played extremely well against Cal, that that defense has to follow that up, back that up with a great uh, defensive performance um, against East Carolina, which should not be that hard. But they can't lose focus. They've got to to come in and play well because the offense looks like it's going to need help. So those would be some of the things that I would point out as sort of things that have to happen. And a lot of that is, you know, comes from the top man down. So I would say it's most important for Larry Fedora. Hey, Buck, I got a question for you. I a follow-up on that. So uh, you mentioned that the it's a medium kind of rumblings right now, but it might become a deafening roar here pretty soon, which, you know, I hope everybody's following. Buck's alluding to. Uh, Larry's job status. Uh, do you think that's actually in jeopardy? Do you think the school would act on that noise? Uh, buyout be damned? Or do you think the buyout would ultimately rule the day and, 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 and save him for this year, say everything goes down to tubes, worst case scenario? Well, uh, if you're talking worst case scenario, I, you know, I know that that's not their preferred solution. Well, right? yeah, I mean, it's a lot of money that that's a lot of money. And, and it affects that's stability. not what they right and yeah. and affects stability it affects a lot of things so that's not what the powers that be are hoping to see happen but you know you get to a certain point and you know they were three and nine last year let's say worst case scenario happens again and they're three and nine again and add into that the december signing class is not as good as it should be or for Carolina standards. And then they're, they're looking at two years of no bowl game and three and nine situation. And it's going to make that that much harder to, to recruit and get things turned around. You know, at some point, somebody over there is going to say, well, $14 million might be a bargain uh, compared to, you know, how long are we are we going to to wait before we try to rectify what looks to be a declining scenario? So um, I hate to be the one to bring that up. You know, I, I'm not a fan of uh, talking about coaches being on the hot seat 
that's that's not a, the favorite part of my job. I'd much rather be talking about something else. But, you know, I, I think that's a scenario that could play out. You don't know. You just don't know. Hopefully, that's not the case. And better things are on the horizon this year. Uh, and recruiting starts looking better. But, you know, you can't, I don't think you can rule it out. I just don't think you can be ruled out. Yeah, and I, and I and I asked the follow up because it's the it's the organic natural follow up to to what you said before. I don't I don't want anybody listening to think that that's me asking that question is uh, any indication of of my advocacy for that solution. That's not the that's not the solution I prefer. I like Coach Fedor. I like him as a person. I like him as a coach. You know, I I'd like to see him here for the next fifteen twenty years. But you know, it was again, it was just the the natural follow up to that. That's why I asked it. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a topic of discussion on inside Carolina's message boards and the tr- Twitter fandom. Uh, Buck, you said that somebody may say that the 14.5 or whatever it is, is a, is a bargain at a certain point. Let me ask you this question, Buck, who doesn't think in the, in the world of college football, in the world of coaching that Nick Saban, whatever he makes is a bargain. You know what I mean? I mean, they pay him what? 10 plus million dollars a year. Yeah, Don't something you? Like I think that, that, yeah. I think that's a bargain for what they get in return. Well, I, I hate to to draw any hard and fast conclusions from that comparison because North Carolina's not going to get Nick Sape. Well, my point you know, is, it, though, it, the money that you can generate from having a successful college football team is exponentially higher than any buyout. Oh, it's your ROI. Yeah, it's the ROI argument, right? Your return on investment. That's that's the point you're making. Yeah, of course, yeah. Nick Saban's not on the table. At some point, it all starts going down the tube. Spending 14 or 12 or 10 million, whatever it is, becomes a bargain to right the ship and get it going and get it going back up. I don't know if they're going to see it that way, but I, you know, I sitting here today, could I say that that. And and your question was really worst case scenario. Worst case scenario would yeah, they? Yeah, that's that's how, that's how I put it. Yeah, yeah, another three and nine uh, year. I'm not sure we get the three and nine if it goes starts going off the rails like that before this conversation's had. But let's talk about East Carolina. Let's keep it on par with East Carolina. And Mike, let's talk about the defense a little bit. Yeah, they played well. Malik Carney certainly looked very good. Uh, now he's out for the next four games. Um, but just speak to that unit. I mean, there's, it's not often that a North Carolina defensive unit under Larry Fedora gets positive press and credit. And this one's getting it, and they absolutely deserve it. Well, again, you're seeing experience and snaps paying off. And the one thing that I've said time and time and time and time again, and I'll continue to say, is you can't get better without reps. And the only thing that gets you better is game reps. And these guys we got out there right now, they got a lot of game reps between them. Um, a lot of games started, a lot of games played between that defensive unit, and it's and and it's finally starting to pay off. You know, guys like Malik Carney that had to play young, you know, he 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 showed up against Cal, and and I think Cal had a had a had a, had a relatively good offensive line. So I look at it from an offensive line standpoint. I think they had a relatively good offensive line. I don't think they're great by any stretch. I don't think they're, you know, it's it's nothing like they're. If you watch the Virginia Tech Florida State game, I, I think those are two teams that. Well, certainly Virginia Tech. Florida State has the athletes. They have the potential to be good on the offensive line. Virginia Tech's offensive line looks 
solid. Miami's always got decent, decent athletes on the offensive line. The, the Coastal is a strong, a strong offensive line division here in the ACC. So our defensive line is going to have its work cut out for it this year within the division. Uh, but I think Cal was a, was a good test. I think it shows, especially coming out game one, that those guys were ready to play. They were prepared, and the coaching had sunk in. Um, you know, Deke Adams has done a good job with them, and and whatever he's, whatever philosophy he's coaching, those kids have bought in, and and it's finally all starting to come together, um, and, and it's encouraging. And 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 I I also I'll, I'll 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 pepper it with this: you can't take a lot from game one or game two of a regular season. And I, that's another thing that I've always said, the biggest improvement you'll see is from games one to two and then two to three. And then there's kind of a, there's kind of a plateau and it levels off, but the things you can take away are things like effort and execution, because understanding there's going to be a lot of mistakes, game one, game two of the season. If you're seeing cleaner execution and you're seeing fewer missed assignments and you're seeing high, high motor, high effort, when you do make mistakes, it's at 100 miles an hour. When you see that in the first and second game, you can take that away. That's a positive because, again, those are that put. You're already starting from a position of strength at that point. There's less to clean up, and because there's less to clean up, there's more room to get good at things, to get better at the things you're already good at, and to tweak and modify and adjust the things you're not so good at. Um, it allows you to actually grow as a team. When when you're making a ton of mistakes and you look like crap the first couple of weeks of the season you're kind of spending all year playing catch up and just trying to get back to the fundamentals schematically um, getting back to the fundamentals from your technique standpoint. Um, these guys didn't seem to have that issue. So it was very encouraging to see them play well. Um, you know, good defenses in Chapel Hill, oh, there, there's been a lot of them and it, it would be nice to finally see, um, you know, a strong to, to see the defense be a strength of a Larry Fedora coach team. And I think this, this team has all the ingredients of it. Now, when we lose some guys here, the next few games due to suspension, um, as we start to phase some guys back in here and there, um, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. But I think by week six, we'll we'll have a clearer picture of how good this defense really is. And and I hope they're, I hope week one was a was an indicator. I think based on the effort, the execution, and the uh, the minimization the minimization of mental errors and missed assignments, I think I think if that's any indication, they're they're going to be okay. But let's give some credit where credit is due, and you know, we've hammered on Fedora a lot in the last in, this week and in recently, but he's put some guys on that defensive staff or hired some guys uh, that have obviously made a difference in the performance. It's, it's one game thus far this season, but even last year, the defense played well at times. They gave up too many big plays, got worn out too many times. Who knows what lies ahead, but it certainly seems like this may be the year that Carolina's defense is actually better than the offense, which is something that, no way any of us would have said um, when Larry Fedora was hired after year one, two, three, up to now. Your thoughts? Yeah, the the defense, uh, and particularly we didn't really get into this too much, but the um, California offensive line, for example, they had every starter back. They had like 80 combined career starts on that offensive line at least seven players had started at least two games last year. So that wasn't a, just a bad offensive line that North Carolina's uh, defensive line dominated, and they dominated them. I mean, those were some experienced guys, and, and North Carolina's defense really beat them up pretty bad. They were getting penetration. They were getting sacks. They were getting tackles for loss. 
and they were doing it against an experienced unit. So that's, I think, very encouraging uh, and probably as encouraging as a D lines play is you and I, Tommy, you're, you can probably talk about this for days, but those uh, shallow crosses and drag routes and wheel routes that, that teams have feasted on against Carolina for, I don't know how many years now, they weren't there against Cal. And, and Cal certainly know how, knew how to do that because they did it to, to North Carolina last year. So that's well, very, that, very encouraging, the linebacker play, I think. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's that, ahead, that says a lot. Yeah, sorry, Buck, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That, um, you know, that says a lot. And, every, you know, everybody sort of understands this, but that's also a credit to the defensive line, getting pressure. Um, it makes linebackers' jobs a whole lot easier. But the other thing we need to recognize, too, is that um, you know, Dominic Ross had himself a game over there at, at, at the outside linebacker spot. And obviously Cole Holcomb's the player. And I'd love to see what Jonathan Smith turns into. I hear a lot of people complaining that his, his coverage skills may, may be lacking in the same areas that Andre Smith's coverage skills were lacking in. But, you know, Andre Smith just made a 53 in the NFL and came out as an underclassman. So somebody thinks he can play. Um, and I trust Ron Rivera's judgment when it comes to evaluating linebackers. So if, if those are the three guys we have back there, I think we've got a good nucleus of linebackers um, that – that, that can play. And if the defensive line is going to continue to get pressure, you're going to see the defense better as a whole um, because one of the major problems they had last year was the inability to get consistent quarterback pressure, whether it was through schematically or just through Jimmy, Jimmy's and Joe's, right? You're just your four-man rush. Um, our guys beating your guys. We had a hard time getting consistent pass rush and getting consistent pressure. But once you start getting more hits on the quarterback and you start disrupting pass lanes and throwing lanes and you're beating offensive linemen, and you're in the face, and and you're getting to their, um, you know, you're you're beating the running backs in pass protection, and you're getting a hand on a quarterback, and they feel quarterbacks feel you back there. It, it, it disrupts an entire offense, and it makes the linebackers' jobs easier. It makes the secondary's job easier. It's pretty incredible the effect that a defensive line can really have on a game. And I don't I don't know if everybody really appreciates how important a consistent, effective pass rush is. And at least against California, we had that. And I'm Buck. I'm really glad you. You brought that up and you harped on that because that, I think right there is the defensive line, though they are getting a lot of credit now, I think we really need to, to, to be grateful and appreciative of the improvements they've made and the performance that the defensive line put forth because it made that entire defensive unit better as a whole. Before we move on to my next area, I want to talk about HeelsTravel.com. You want a simple, easy, better way to travel to UNC football or basketball games, now's your chance. Heels Travels partnered with Inside Carolina to provide easy and simple travel for select UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, of course, is the president of Away to Go Travel, Greensboro native and a diehard Carolina fan. He wanted to find a better, easier, and more efficient way to get fans to the game. And I believe uh, if you check out Inside Carolina message boards, at least a couple made the trip, the California trip, and would speak highly of HeelsTravel.com and a way to go travel. Now they're selling packages to get you to the Virginia game in Charlottesville on October 27th. It's a one-day bus trip from Chapel Hill. We've talked about it before. Take the bus, go to Charlottesville, see the Carolina-Virginia game, get home. Somebody else does the driving, somebody else does the parking, and you see a Carolina game in a Frankly, a beautiful stadium, a good setting, no problems and no questions asked. The leaves should be changing. 
great time to see a great town cheer on the hills. Make the process easy. Visit hillstravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. Don't forget, they're selling packages to the UNC basketball game in Las Vegas over Thanksgiving. No better way to spend the holiday than watching Carolina play basketball in the desert and enjoy Las Vegas. Round trip airfare, <clears throat> round trip airfare to RDU, round trip transportation to and from the airport, three nights at the Aria Resort and Casino. Hillstravel.com, 336-855-0060 to book. There'll be more packages coming for other games. Stick with us. We'll tell you all about it. Mike Ingersoll, uh, let me ask you your opinion about the penalties. Now, you're yeah. a player. You, yeah. You're a former player. Uh, you understand discipline and how coaches meet it out one way or another. Depends on who you ask, but yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, we'll act like you understand. You, that you I've been a, told I've been I've been coached that way yeah sure go ahead <laughs> yeah okay yeah let's talk about the coaching side of it yeah, but yeah. I mean how do you clean it up I mean is it you know the the penalties of aggression Jason Staples talked about it yeah. you, you've seen yeah. some of the best teams or you can live with those once in a while but you've got Carney who's a senior um, that gets egged on and gets a personal foul penalty against California and you've got other guys making the same mistakes, and whether it's false starts or, you know, holds or, or whatever. Bottom line is Larry Fedor's teams are so penalized. It has, I would wager it's cost Carolina um, two or three or four games at least in the last couple of years. Maybe that's uh, too much of an estimate, but not too much. So your thoughts there on the why and the how and then the how you handle it and, and correct it if it's correctable. Well, you're gonna get you're gonna get egged on. You're gonna get poked. You're gonna get prodded, and you're gonna try to get you know, other guys are gonna try and bait you into personal fouls. Um, you know, and I I only ever got in my entire football career actually I only ever got one personal foul, and it was against Virginia in 2009 at home. We got chewed at halftime. It was a it was a sloppy game. I think that I think we lost that game 13 to 10 or something, or maybe it was 13 to six. I can't remember, but it was it was a sloppy game. It was a slow game. We couldn't get anything going on offense, and we got ripped at halftime. You know, something to the effect of, you know, there's no tempo. Someone's got to set the tone. And we came out of halftime, and I figured, well, somebody else is going to do that. Like, I'm just going to go out here and play and not try not to screw up too bad. Nobody was really – there was still, like – there was no fire lit under anybody's butt. So I tried to take it upon myself to clean up a pile, try and create a big hit kind of out of nowhere. And if I got a penalty, maybe that would be what fired people up. And I, I consciously actually tried to get a penalty, and I did. It was the only personal foul I ever got, and it backed us up 15 yards. The problem was the time I – you know, when, when I chose to do it, um, was a huge gain by Tony Elzey and it cost us 15 yards and backed us up out of uh, field goal range. And we were actually going in, um, first and first and 10 from, I think the 20 and I screwed that up. And I think, and, and I always blame myself for the way that game turned out because that was a touchdown. I felt like, you know, we didn't score that cost us the game. And what I had to take a step back from and remind myself was number one, that was uncharacteristic for me. And number two, it was selfish. Even though in the in the moment I thought it was a selfless act, I thought I was trying to set the tone right and fire people up. What would have been that 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 conduct by me was selfish. What would have been selfless was stepping away from myself, understanding that wasn't my role or that wasn't the even if it may, maybe not so much it wasn't my role, but it wasn't the right time. And there were other ways to get that done, right? To set a tempo, to fire people up. There was a, there were other less. Uh, 
painful ways, less damaging ways to do that. And I chose the easy route, you know, doing some unnecessary stuff after a play that, that, you know, again, again, unnecessary. We, we didn't, we didn't need it and it cost us. I think that's part of it. Um, understanding the moment, understanding the situation, being, uh, removing yourself from yourself a little bit and knowing that, you know, the only thing that's going to come out of some extracurricular crap is usually something bad. Or if you, if you got a guy trying to bait you and you end up throwing a punch or you shove him, they're not going to see what he did to you. They're only going to see what you do. And I know that was something that was hammered into my head from high school on, not, not just here in college or later from high school. I, I learned that lesson. My coaches preach that they'll never see what, the other guy does they'll only see the end result because by the time they realize something's happening you have now engaged um, and been baited and you are the one that's going to suffer the consequences your team is the one that's going to suffer the consequences so it's being selfless it's pulling yourself out of that situation and stepping stepping back from yourself for a second and thinking what's the what, what am i going to accomplish is this going to make me feel good personally right to run my mouth to get a late hit after the play um you know, those is, is that going to make me feel better, but is it going to hurt the team? And it, it is me feeling better and getting mine, right? Is that, is that really more important than winning this game? And is that really more important than the other 21 uh, or 10 guys on the field, me, the other 11 in the other unit? Um, and then obviously the other 11 on special teams. Is it really worth all affecting all those bodies and all those experiences in this game for me to get my, my two seconds of gratification? Those are the self-imposed penalties right those are the reactionary uh penalties of aggression i guess is what jason called them the the other stuff jumping off sides holding penalties things like that uh not lining up correctly you know so your pre-snap penalties stuff like that um neutral zone infractions that's all mental stuff and again that sounds like coach speak that sounds like a cliche but it really is mental stuff it's not and it's 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 born of the same crap that gets you in trouble with the uh penalties of aggression right it is not focusing up, it's not understanding the situation, and it's not stepping away from yourself enough to really hunker down and focus on what your assignment is because you're just tired and you get a little bit of, you get a little bit lazy and you think you're gonna be able to get away with it, or you're just not focusing on enough details and you get caught and it ends up costing the team because you wanted to take a playoff or because you felt a little tired and weren't really paying attention. It costs the team five yards, ten yards, sometimes even fifteen. Um, so it's, it's, again, what it really boils down to is, uh, it's, it's, it's number one coaching and having that stuff hammered into your head. Like I said, I heard it from high school on, I had great coaches. Um, and these are good coaches and kids hear it all the time, but it's the kind of coaches that can land that message and have guys actually buy into it. And the second part of it is acting a little selflessly, right. And understanding that the little bit of gratification you might get from a, uh, penalty of aggression from that conduct is not worth what it's going to cost everybody else. It's certainly not worth, like in my experience, at least the way that I perceived it, it's not worth costing your team a game, a conference game against a rival. It's not, it's just, it's never worth the price you got to pay for um, the price or the price you'll have to pay uh, in order to have that, that couple seconds of of gratification. So, so that's it. It's stepping away from yourself really. And it's, it's buying into your coaching and listening to your coaching and understanding it's not some hokey, some hokey stuff. There are consequences to your actions. uh, Even if those actions are just not, focusing up on one play so so let me follow up there with this i mean from what i hear you is it, is on the player on the coaches clearly the coaches coach 
you know, rep every day over and over and over and over and over again, not to commit whatever said penalty is yet it happens over and over or it continues to happen. How as a coach, how mm. would one of your coaches in the past correct it? That's well, it's that's fear. The, good, good, good follow-up Tommy. And I guess that's the best clarification I can give fear of consequences, I guess is really what ham, what's what makes that a, which make which makes those coaching points sticking points. Um, so yeah, I mean, every coach preaches it, every coach hears it, or every coach says it, every player hears it, right? Um, but it's the it's fear of consequences from those coaches um, and from that staff and from your teammates, right? It's also an accountability thing from your teammates. Um, if you got guys barking at you, chewing you out for getting a five-yard penalty for running your mouth or for um, not lining up correctly, you know, you, you kind of the the perception of your teammates can sometimes be stronger than um, any backlash you get from your coaches. But you know, if you know that there are penalties internally, internal consequences for making a, um, for, for penalties on game day, then you're going to be far less likely to, to commit any kind of penalty. You're going to focus up more the whole game. You're going to do everything you can and not get a holding call, not jump off sides, not line up in the neutral zone, not get a personal foul. Um, you know, guys, we, you know, we would run guys for personal fouls. Um, you, you, you didn't get them. It, it wasn't something you did. You're not going to cost the team being selfish and thinking about yourself. I mean, if you did, you're going to pay the consequences the next day after workouts. Um, you're going to bear crawl. You're going to do things like that. If you jumped off sides, you know, it's going to be penalties for that. And on the NFL, there's actual monetary fines for things like that. Um, you still see those penalties, but, you know, if you really pay attention, you see a lot less of the pre-snap stuff. You don't see as much offsides. You don't see as many false starts or neutral zone infractions, things like that. You see far less of those because there's an actual – uh, finance, there's a, there's a, there's a punitive aspect to, uh, getting, getting a flag thrown on you. So that's how you get the coaching point to become a sticking point is, is fear of consequences, reprimand repercussions from your coaching staff. But when it really starts to hit home and when you see teams really play cleanly and, and really play disciplined is when you have your fellow players uh, and your teammates holding you accountable. And, and I don't know, I don't know that we've seen a lot of that, frankly, in, in Larry Fedora coach teams, um, you know, player accountability now the guys would get mad at me if they heard me say that right well you know they would say of course we of course we do that but do you really um and i haven't seen a whole lot of that because i know that the the best teams there's there's a lot more of that player accountability it doesn't need to come from the coaches good stuff there mike buck i'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit and uh close the show give us a preview of of what's in the mix coming down the pipe for buck stops here i gave you a hard time about your title, I guess, because I didn't really, I don't know the word of the one on Tuesday, but preview for us uh, what comes out in Buck space, uh, both today, Wednesday, when this podcast is live, Thursday and Friday. Well, uh, I'm going to have to hustle to get some uh, columns out this week because my civic duty calls and I must answer the oh, uh, get, criminal justices. Uh, get on that jury, yeah. Buck. <laughs> you know, I've, yes, you, I, go, you go, you go, sit in that box, and you'd be a neutral, a neutral peer for your uh, for the accused. Yeah. I, well, I, you know, it's it's part of the uh, citizenship duties, and so I shall, you know, do my oblige. part. Yeah. But uh, I shall oblige. So, uh, but that's going to make things difficult for the uh, the buck stops here column this week. Perhaps I'll be able to hammer out some in the evenings or something, but. We'll see. It's, it's going to be a little tough this week. But can't can't you get off of that being a? And you were you were you, you practiced criminal law, didn't you? Can't you get off of that being an attorney? No. Well, I don't know. Uh, sometimes they'll do that. Sometimes they won't. 
so I don't know we'll that see. I don't know that I want yeah. a lawyer on my jury. Yeah, yeah we'll see. I have a practice. Lawyers don't like other lawyers, Mike. You should know that. Now, I can't stand Buck, and he don't like me either. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> can't believe I still have a job. In my time, knock on wood, I've never been selected for a criminal jury pool uh, ever. And my better half seems like she gets one every two weeks uh, when it's actually every two years. But it's weird how that works. I'm not sure they'd want me to stay on their juries as well, either side. Buck, who's trying that case? Is Siegley trying that case? <laughs> I didn't know. I don't, I don't think it's in his jurisdiction. So, uh, uh, fun so, times. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, Tales from the Inside. Tales from Inside there the Courthouse. The buck stops here. Mike, <laughs> Mike, Mike and Buck, it's been fun talking. Uh, yeah. hey, t- as hey, always, Tommy, guys, I- enjoyed it. Tommy, can I drop one more? Uh, any lettermen that are listening to this, um, and I'll say something next week too, but uh, the UCF game, September 15th, we had the Letterman's tailgate right out in front of uh, the football center there in front of the Choo Choo Justice statue. The tailgate guys come. They set everything up. Uh, Lee Brown, former wide receiver, is now uh, at Oakley Distilling. He started Oakley Distilling. He's providing all the vodka and the gin. We'll have Bojangles and IP3's pizza there for everybody. All you can eat, 40 bucks. If you're a Letterman, come on by. Uh, bring your significant others. Bring your kids. Last year we had a great turnout. Garrett Reynolds is putting it on, so if you got Garrett's number, Get in touch with him or reach out to me if you want more details. Um, but we're hoping to have a really good turnout. Sorry, I just I had to I had to give that plug. No, you can do that plug as long as we can get some of the Oakley Distillery uh, product delivered to Buck and I in the Bowls lot. We'll have to come make a trip. <laughs> you come on <laughs> right. by. I'll tell you what. That, hey, Lee makes a. It's called it's called uh, Troop Strength. It's Boots Vodka Troop Strength. It's some of the be- he makes it out of sweet potatoes. It's some of the best vodka I've ever had in my life. It's better than Tito's. It's all organic. Um, so if you got anybody in your family with GI problems or a gluten thing, it's perfect for that. It's 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 pretty good stuff. Listen to him, Buck. I, I think we're gonna make a run and uh, be like the old days. We're gonna run up the road, hit the steel, <laughs> run back down to the to the party. <laughs> good stuff, you guys. Hey, and and to our listeners, uh, next week, next Sunday, I'll have a code for you to win those tickets that Buck talked about not too terribly long ago, and even sit and maybe hang out with Buck Sanders at a Carolina football game. Oh, joy. Mike, you cannot win. No, I don't want to win. I concede. (laughs) Good stuff, guys. Appreciate you joining me. We'll talk soon. All right, guys. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.